Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. We're going to be in Romans 5, 1 through 11. Romans 5, 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, which is where we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured in his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. I'm sorry, for a non-righteous man. But, I'm sorry, let me go back on that again. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly die. But God, he demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. Since we have not been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Over the last couple of weekends, we've been talking about the gospel, taking a look at the gospel through different perspectives, exploring the bigness of of the gospel. And uh, and then last week was Resurrection Sunday, so we we took a look at that and had communion last week. uh, we're, we're back to our conversations, kind of exploring the, the gospel a little bit more. Uh, today, our sermon is entitled, Identity of the Gospel Community. So that's what we're getting into today. So, if I had a dollar bill, me, there we go. If I had a dollar bill, and I gave it to you, would that be enough to change your life? Yes? <laughs> is a dollar bill a big enough of a force to change your life? Would it change your behavior, change how you live? Probably not that much, or at all. How about $100? If I gave you $100, would that be big enough to change your life? Well, with today's grocery bills, <laughs> like, that goes fast, right? <laughs> So the answer is probably no. It might, it might make your day. That'd be pretty cool. Get a hundred bucks. Okay. How about this? What if I gave you a hundred million dollars? Would that be a big enough force, a big enough factor in your life to change you? And you're like, well, actually, well, maybe a little bit here. Let's actually slow down and let's talk about a hundred million dollars. That actually could have the power to shift some things in our life. You know, we, we would get this new identity label of being a multimillionaire. Just like that, 
you're in this whole new class. If you're in debt and you pay that off, well, you're no longer a debtor, so, so you get out of debt. Perhaps if you're like thinking about retirement, well, $100 million, I think that would be big enough of a shift, like you, or a big enough of a force to shift you into the age of retirement. You know, you, you would adopt a whole new lifestyle and, and a, you know, a, a new identity of being retired now. Or, or perhaps, um, you know, parents, maybe you don't need to work as much or, you know, one of you or both. You can be a stay-at-home mom or dad, you know. $100 million, of course, can take you down the wrong path as well. So I want you to think about it. If $100 million could actually change a person a little a, a little bit, you know, it, it, it could affect your behavior. It could affect your roles and responsibilities. And yes, it could actually even affect your identity. Isn't it fascinating that that $1 wouldn't do anything, but $100 million, yes, absolutely, that could that could change things. So much more worth and value, that, that that's a force in our life. $100 million, that could change some things in our life. That has the potential to change a lot of things. Basically, I, I begin with this illustration. Um, if it is true that what we call valuable could have the power to shift some things in our life, change the way we live, change our behavior, the way we think, speak, and so on, well, then we might actually want to take a closer look at what we call valuable. One valuable teaching in the church is that men and women are made in the image of God. Image of God. And sometimes we use the Latin expression, imago Dei, just to make it really technical, to really stamp it as something important. You know, when, when theologians, when pastors, Bible teachers, when they go, go to Latin, when they go to Greek and Hebrew, you know, it's like, ooh, something, something important is being spoken here. Imago Dei, made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. Without doing anything, by just being you, right now sitting in your, your seat, you are reflecting God's nature. You're fashioned in God's Likeness. You are a creature that can connect in a um, personal relationship to the heartbeat of God. And so, if we are made in God's image, then let's ask, who is God? What is God like? And thankfully, God doesn't leave us in the dark. He, he does self-reveal, self-disclose information about himself. Uh, he, he, a loud voice in all of that is the scriptures. And so we, we read the Bible, we study the Bible, and one of the things that we learn is that God is a God of relationships. There's relationality within God. God is a God of love, a God of fellowship. God is fellowship and relationship and community within God's self. And we actually see that, that God is not a fan of isolation. Not a big fan at all. It is not good for the Adam to be alone. God is a pretty big fan of families, relationship, and actually like interrelated communities, interdependence. We even see this in how God designs ecosystems. I was reading that the most resilient ecosystems aren't the ones with the greatest number of individual species. 
But the but resilient ecosystems are the ones with the greatest number of of relationships, interrelated relationships among species. So ecosystems teach us that you know communal resilience is not about how much we have, but actually it's about how much we share and, and trust and exchange. That's what makes us healthy and resilient. We are made in the image of a community-loving God. And your identity as an image bearer, it naturally reflects this relationality. Now, sin, of course, ruins things. Sin ruins things. Oh, let me go back. Do you remember, um, maybe some of you still, still do this, but you'd have pictures, photos, right? Then you'd have to go to a photo center and drop off your film. And sometimes it was one hour or you'd come back a couple days later or whatever the case may be. And you got like a packet. And sometimes those photo prints, they came out really shiny. And you had to be careful not to touch them super much because what? Your fingerprints would get on them, right? Does anybody still get photos made? Raise the hands. One. One person. Two. <laughs> yeah. That's what sin is like. We still maintain the image of God, but we have sins, smudgy, greasy fingerprints all over us. And it's the smudges on the image that it separates us relationally from God, just to use that example. And because of the smudges, because of our smudges, you know, we, we try to make our own image. We, we try to scrub out those smudges only to make, a, make it more smudgier. Is that a word, smudgier? We, we really lean into being self-making selves. We try to make up our own identity. We try to lord over our own lives. We try to reinvent ourselves. And it can get really confusing. Because if you get a bunch of people trying to do their own thing, it, it gets really confusing when everyone thinks they're autonomous. Autonomy means self-rule. And just to help explain... Imagine playing soccer. That's, that's not pretty. Can we go back? There we go. Imagine playing soccer, but then someone decides they're going to pick up this soccer ball, and now they're going to play rugby. All right? But then someone with shoulder pads and a helmet shows up, and they decide we're playing American football, and they tackle that person. And then another person shows up because they're autonomous and they define their own rules. They're like, hey, actually, we're wrestling. They got the singlet on, the headgear, and they start wrestling people. And you know what? That is just overwhelming. That is chaos. That is confusing. Autonomy is not freedom, it's chaos. Autonomy is confusing. And not only is it chaos, but it comes with a lot of pressure. Trying to figure out who we are, trying to create our own image, that's a lot of work. Let me go back to Imago Dei. Imago Dei teaches us that we have so much worth and value. Intrinsic worth and value. But of course, sin makes things messy. Sin ruins 
community and identity formation. And that is a problem that we face every single day. So anyways, now that we've considered some of these things, let's, let's uh, move forward here. I want to share a, a story with you, kind of a negative story from my life, hence the, the beautiful picture on the screen. <laughs> I'm not a fan of that picture. Uh, I'm going to share a, a negative story from my own life and then a positive story, a positive message from Romans chapter 5. And yeah, this is uh, circa 2010. It was so hard to find a good picture of myself. Um, I do not look well in that picture. <laughs> so, if you don't mind, let me share with you some of my smudges. For numerous reasons and factors, with a few exceptions, like in middle school, high school, I had social anxiety, social immaturity, Dysfunction, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, again, middle school, high school. Uh, there, there were a few exceptions to that. But I struggled socially. When I went to college, I was like, you know what? This is my chance. Let me start over. This kid who just struggles with like making friends and being connected and all of that, let's, let's, get, let's be done with him. Let's start over. And so I go to college... Let me reinvent myself. But here's the problem. Okay, I didn't have the necessary tools to do that. Social skills. <laughs> I lacked in them. So long story short, I ended up suffering greatly in college because I cannot escape the fact that I need to be formed in community. I need to be formed in relationship. And so any attempt at trying to reinvent myself, that's not going to go well as this individualistic, nearly autonomous, nearly invisible college student that kind of just shifts around in the background. The kid who eats by himself in the corner of, of the lunchroom, you know, don't want to cause any, any harm. Let me just get out of your way. Academically, I loved college. College is great. Recommend it. Socially, it was a disaster. I struggled. Perhaps if I was a, a psalmist, I would say, the ropes of loneliness cinched me tight. The bare trap of isolation, it laid in wait for me. I couldn't escape loneliness, isolation. I was depressed. Now, I got saved at a young age. I knew a lot of Bible, but my gospel identity was riddled with holes. Some of you know me. I, uh, I live in my head a lot. You know me pretty well. I, I'm a researcher, an investigator, a visionary. But there is no way that I can reinvent myself through daydreaming. There's no way that I can escape my human need of others. To know myself, I need to know others. And so just as I needed relationship, I needed community, I needed people to speak words of identity into my life, so too, as a church in community, all of us need a community filled with gospel vocabulary. We need to hear the good news continuously. So next, as a community, let's Let's read and remember and, and, and speak out and proclaim the identity reformation 
the identity reformation that comes from the work of Christ. And so let's, let's take a look at the good story from Romans chapter 5. I'm just going to look at verse 10 and 11. Donna read 1 through uh, 11 for us today. We're just going to take a look at verses 10 and 11. Hear this good news. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So let's unpack that here. Before salvation, Paul says this of our old identity. He calls us enemies of God. That's strong language. We're enemies of God. There is a gap in our relationship with God, and it's not good. It's a smudgy, smudgy gap. And it's not supposed to be this way. The original plan was we were going to have abundant life on this garden planet. It was awesome. We're not supposed to be this way. We're not supposed to do life outside of the life of God. There isn't supposed to be a gap. But then the good news is God does something that only God can do. God moves in and he heals the gap. While we were enemies, while we were opposite, while we were in rebellion to God, God fully reconciled us back to himself through the death of Jesus. You just have to imagine it. Like, we're miles and miles away. We're not even turned towards God. We're, we're looking the other way. But God's like, I see them. I love them. While they're so far away and they're so distant, I, I'm, I'm going to reconcile this re- relationship so at our worst, God reconciles us. But there's more. If God did that while we're at our worst, what then will God do for us while we're operating out of the overflow of his best? What truly happens is that we have relational peace with God. Romans 5.1 We have peace with God. Now, peace isn't just the absence of of conflict, but peace, this idea of of shalom, it's a reality, reality that says, I see you and I want you to flourish. God doesn't just heal the con conflict, He doesn't just close the gap, but He goes further. He wants to have true life with us, meaningful life, rich, abundant life. Now, it's not a life devoid of suffering, grief, and hard times, but we, but we are to embrace the paradox and mystery that emerges, that on the other side of, of death is life, that on the other side of surrender is, is, is peace. <coughs> and so in faith, we die with Jesus. We, we go to the cross and we die with Jesus, and because we share In Jesus' resurrection, we're saved from the smudgy dominion of sin. Hallelujah, our identity is restored, it's being restored. And this is a reason to celebrate, Paul says. He uses the word boast, or at least the NIV does, okay? Let's be full of worshipful bragging about who God is and what God does. 
And so let's overflow with this victorious joy of having this new relationship and and living in reconciliation, living a reconciled life with God, having peace with God. And it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. And so in faith, by grace, through the power of the Spirit, we're being restored. Our image is being restored. Jesus was making faithful remnant. So this is good news. We do not have to build or conjure up our own identity. In relationship, Jesus and his gospel and his his kingdom words and kingdom wisdom, it's being spoken over to us. So as we grow in the gospel, we learn what's true of us. And largely, This happens in the context of a faith community. So it's really important now to really, you know, we want to really understand our new identity that we're we're brought into. And so now, let's pivot. Let's shore up some of our communal identity statements that we see in the New Testament. There's so many to highlight. I'll just give you a few today. In Christ, we become children of God. John 1.12, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. We all have the same Heavenly Father. And we are reborn and indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. And when we're baptized, we're all immersed into the same name and identity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what's true of us is that Jesus makes us family. Jesus makes us family. We all have the same heavenly dad. We're brothers and sisters here. Jesus makes us family. Another area of restoration, Jesus restores our sense of belonging. Romans 6.22 Now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. God is our master, meaning we belong to God. Our belonging, we, our sense of belonging is restored. Again, we're not made to be alone. We're made to belong. Our sense of belonging is restored. It's not transactional, but it's transformational. As we learn how to belong to God, we learn what it means to serve. And so we desperately need a good example of a servant And we look to Jesus. Jesus is our example. Philippians chapter 2 is a lovely passage. We're called to have the same attitude, the same mindset of Jesus Christ. Jesus, as our example, he, he emptied himself. He poured himself out and became an example of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If our attitude is like the aroma of our heart, well then, we should smell like servants and slaves. That might be hard to hear at first, but this is who we are. We are humble servants. We're the feet washers of our community. Romans 6, 8. Romans 6, 8 says, We are servants of righteousness. We're no longer servants to our autonomy, which leads to chaos and death. 
We are servants of God. And that leads us to life. It leads us to fruitfulness. It leads us to freedom. So Jesus makes us a family of servants. You guys with me? Jesus makes us a family of servants, but he also gives us a missional identity. John chapter 20, it's a post-resurrection scene. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, this is the beginning of the church, the proto-church here. Jesus says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus says, we all have the same dad, right? Well, as dad sent me on mission, well, now I'm sending you on mission. We're all going out on mission, on God's mission. And with that, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't give us this big mission project to do, this big redemption project. He doesn't give us this big project and leave us empty-handed. He gives us the Holy Spirit. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the great things that he has in store for us, to proclaim his name, to give glory to God all over the world. And there's other identity statements. There's tons of them that we could add in here. We're the light of the world. We're salt. We're the branches of the vine. We're new creations. But this is what's true of us for today. And in, in, in relationship with God, because we're reconciled, this is who we are. We are a, a family of spirit-filled missionary servants. A family of spirit-filled missionary servants. Now, I don't want to give the enemy all the credit because we can do a pretty good job at, at bringing injury. But all the enemy needs to do is make a congregation weak in their, in their understanding of identity. You know, what, what if we don't believe this to be true about ourselves? That we're fuzzy on our concept of being a faith family, being, being a, a body? What if we're fuzzy on what we're supposed to be doing here? What if we block out the Spirit? What if we're super cold with our understanding of what, what it means to be a servant? We are a family of Spirit-filled missionary servants. This it's not a $1 statement. It's not a $100 statement. This is a $100 million statement right here. Okay? This is a $100 million statement. Like, like, know the value. Know the worth of who we are as a church. If we believe and understand in the identity of who we are as a church, I believe that is going to shift things in our life. The way we speak, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money. The way we think and talk about ourselves and, and others and so on and so on. It takes the whole community to speak and live this out. Okay? Not just the pastor's job, not just ministry council. It's all of us. We're a family. Filled by the Spirit. We're servants. And we've got a job to do. So back to my college story. I wanted to reinvent myself. I wanted to reinvent myself. I, I wanted a new identity. I just, I, I wanted that restart. Have you ever been there before? 
Can you relate to me? Like, like, I wanted the restart. But now that I look back, I can see so clearly. I could never be healthy and resilient on my own. Because again, I need others to speak into my life. I need, I need a community to come around me with, with common stories, common faith, common language, culture. I, I need that. We all need that. Now, hypothetically, what if, I might cry, what if I found out that I was going to meet my wife in college, like on day one, orientation? Orientation week. Whether it's like, I don't know when it's going to happen. But what if that truth was given to me and I just, I believed it to be true, even if I didn't see it yet? What if I knew without a doubt, even as, as lonely and depressed as I was, what if I knew that actually the one person who's going to do like the most community with me, the, the, the one who's going to choose to live in relationship, in covenant relationship with me? What if I knew that to be true, that I was going to meet my wife in college? That's more than $100 million. You know, like that, that, that would have changed the way I lived, the way that I moved and breathed about in college. It would have changed everything. The pressure would have been off. The pressure would have been off. This is the things that we say that are valuable to us. The things that we say that we believe in. A family of missionary servants. Don't just put that on a business card or on a website or get t-shirts made. Like, no, this is our identity. Let's believe this to be true. Who we are as a church. But let's go and see if we can. What if... What if I would have been able to believe deeply and truly understand that in Christ I'm loved, that I have value, that I have worth, that God is the one who defines me, that God does not abandon me, that God walks with me, that God has plans and purposes for me, that God sings over me, that God has dreams, that he wants to awaken in me? Like, what if I... Believe that. And that would no doubt change my life. The pressure would have been off. But you know what? I needed a community to speak those things into my life. And then one day, I was sitting by myself at the lunch hall, and I get a text from Jess. And she says, Hey, are you eating by yourself? <laughs> I got up. I found her. saw her across the way. Went over and sat down. I never left her side. And let me just share. I hope you see my redemption showing off here. <laughs> that sad kid, God called into ministry and was like, yeah, you're going to be a pastor of a community. <laughs> you know? And this church has been such a big part of my life. Like, it, 
wasn't super long after that picture. By the way, Jess was a blonde when I met her. <laughs> and probably was 40 pounds heavier as well. Me, not her. But God called me into ministry and was like, yeah, like the one who has like no social skills. And I, you guys have seen me grow up here. Hopefully you see me growing in my social skills. But like that kid, God was like, you're going to be a pastor. And not only that, like you're going to have like denominational work to do too. And it's mind blowing. But what about right now? What about you? Do you believe the things that are true of you? Do you believe the things that are true of us as Plymouth Meeting Church? And again, the, the, the thing about good news is even if you don't see it, even if it's an unseen truth that you have to wait for, that doesn't mean that it stops being good news. By, by all means, don't stop believing because you can't see something yet. And so this church, we are a family of spirit-filled missionary servants. So I just want to keep encouraging you to lean into that, to seek out community. If you, were, if you resonate with me and you, you have uh, you know, social skill issues, hey, I'm with you. Let's talk about it. I can relate. We can start there. Church family, do backyard barbecues. Let's do a picnic at a state park. Let's go fishing together. Keep leaning into relationships. Go on walks. Grab coffee. Speak truth over people. Grace over one another. We all need to hear words of identity spoken over us. Yes, we all have our smudges. And God even gave me an object lesson today. My right context lens is smudgy. <laughs> we all have our smudges. We need to deal with the smudge in our own eye first. We're not supposed to be judgmental. We all bear God's image. We are the body of Christ. This is your faith family. These are your people. The family that you are choosing to serve, to show up with and for, to co-shepherd one another, to believe in and cheer for. Wow, 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 wow. Wow, wow.